Hey, thanks so much for being here. This is My City Church, and this is our podcast. We hope you are inspired to love God, love people, and lead in life. Enjoy the message. Come on, good morning, good morning. It's like, uh, it's so hard for me to say good morning. I'm the youth pastor, and I'm usually like, yo, what's up? You know, it's like I, I got to dial it in, you know, it's Sunday. But hey, good morning. Um, if you don't know who I am, my name is Pastor Tyler. Uh, I am the youth pastor here at My City Church. And uh, so honored and excited to bring a word this morning as we close out what's been one of my favorite series I think we've ever done a, uh, as a church, which is To Hell and Back. And uh, our lead pastors are on vacation right now. They're celebrating their 10th anniversary. And so can we make some noise and make sure they hear us? Man, best lead pastors in the world. So excited for them. And they're not here, so I can say whatever I want. You know, no supervision. We're going to do this thing. No, I'm just kidding. It's not going to get too crazy this morning. Who knows? It might, you know. But uh, like I said, really, really honored to be able to share. We've been in this awesome series, To Hell and Back. And how many of you uh, have ever heard that saying before? Like, Man, I've been to hell and back in my life. I've been to hell and back. And the core idea of this whole sermon series is, is around this, that in your life sometimes you might go through a little bit of hell. You might go through some tough times, some trials, some, some things that challenge you. But in the midst of it, could it be that God is still at work? that he's still moving on your behalf, that you might not be able to see him quite clearly, but he is moving. And the, the core scripture we've been using for it is Romans 8, 28. One of my favorites. I have it tattooed on me so I get extra credit. And eight, Romans 8, 28, it says, and we know that in all things, look at your neighbor and say all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He's working all things for the good, even the bad things, even the things you think there's no way God is in the middle of it. If you give God a chance, he can work in it, he can move in it, he can do something amazing. And so an awesome, awesome series, a great scripture, and I'm excited to keep going with you guys today. And so are, are you guys with me this morning? Let's go. We're going to jump into James. Lift up your Bible if you brought your Bible to church with you. Let's go. Let's go. We're going to go into James 1, 2 through 4, and this is what James says to us. He says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. An awesome scripture we're going to dive into today. If you're taking notes in the house, uh, the title of this message is Don't Curse the Blessing. Do not curse the blessing. But let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you're moving, Lord, that you're speaking to us. We pray this morning that we would hear what you're speaking to us, Lord, in the midst of our own trials, in the midst of what we're going through, Lord, in the midst of maybe the hell that some of us are going through today, that we would hear you, Lord, and we'd be able to see how you're working, Lord. Would you build our faith in this place? And we pray, God, if anybody came in with their head down today, Lord, we would leave with our head up, encouraged by you, knowing that you're working and moving on our behalf. We love you, Jesus. And my city church said, amen, amen. Well, have you ever experienced anything in your life where it started out as kind of a bad thing, but ended up working out really well for you? You've experienced this before? I, I, when I was uh, reflecting on this, prepping for this message, I could think of a lot of scenarios, but I remembered the first time really clearly. The first time I was about eight years old, okay, when I experienced something like this. And if you've ever seen the movie The Sandlot, like I, I kind of lived that movie. Like, like every single day before and after school, I was playing baseball with the neighbor kids. All, everybody in the neighborhood would get together and we would play baseball. When it was summer break, we would play all day long. Like we, it was all baseball all the time. When it was the winter, we'd be in the basement playing pickle. Like everything we did was baseball, okay? 
And so we were playing baseball all the time. We'd been doing this for a number of years together. But then we realized that this kid up the street named Trevor, he had a much better backyard for this. So we were like, well, maybe we should start going and playing at Trevor's house. So we go over, we meet Trevor. We clearly just want to use his stuff, but we have to let him play with us. And so here's the thing about Trevor. Trevor is three years older. Trevor was bigger. He was stronger. He hit harder. He threw faster. And what we realized early on is we couldn't hit off this guy. Like he would start throwing fastballs to us and we couldn't hit it. We were used to playing with people our own age. And so we were so frustrated because we were like, we want to use this place, but like he doesn't go easy on us. It's not fair. He's not dumbing it down at all. And he would just kind of tease us because we struck out every time or we couldn't hit off the guy or he would hit home runs off of us. And I'm a little bit of a drama king. Like I'm a pretty dramatic dude and I, I complain a lot. And I remember going home and be like, mom, like he won't go easy on us. Like I don't even like baseball anymore. Like it's not even a good sport. Like I just want to quit. It's not even a real sport. I'm like, I'm going to swim. You know, like I don't know, like. I'm going to find something else to do. I was so frustrated. But I had something rise up in me. And I was like, I'm going to hit a home run off this guy. If it's the last thing I do, I don't care if I'm 45 years old playing slow pitch softball, I would hit a home run off of Trevor, okay? Like, it's going to happen. And so I could have quit, but I just, I kept showing up. So I would show up, and I would strike out. And I would show up, and I would strike out. And I would show up, and I would strike out. Like, it was like this for a very long time. It was about a year, and I was miserable. I was so frustrated, but I was like, I'm going to hit a home run off of him. What about a year down the road? I remember, literally, I remember this so clearly. I'm sitting there, and he throws me a fastball, and I just, I hit this thing so hard. I smacked it, and it goes, and it leaves the backyard, and I'm like running around the base. It's like, what's up, Trevor? What's up, bro? I'm like that. I'm that guy. Like, I'm so excited. And he's like, yo, okay, my record against you is still pretty great, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter because I hit a home run off of Trevor, and I was so excited about it. But when I reflected on that time after, what I realized was although against Trevor, I wasn't doing so good over a year and I was miserable, that was actually the amount of, or the, the period of time in my life where I saw the most improvement in baseball. Like if you looked at when I was playing on my club team, man, I was, I was doing great. I was hitting triples. I've never been strong enough to hit a home run, but I was hitting doubles. I was hitting singles. Like I was on base all the time. I was catching ground balls I never could catch before. It's because I was playing against somebody who was much more skilled, bigger and stronger. And when I look back, I go, wow, this season that wasn't fair, that I didn't ask for, that came out of nowhere, that I was so frustrated with, ended up being the greatest thing for my baseball career that lasted through eighth grade. You know, like, like it ended up being the best thing. It was the most, like, experience. I, I, it was awesome. And I was so thankful for it. It was a blessing in disguise. Have you ever heard that saying before? It's a blessing in disguise. And here's what I found is although this is my like eight-year-old t-ball life that's pretty dramatic, like this concept applies to a lot of our life. I found we're really good at, at, at saying, oh man, like I, I'm really, I'm going to keep going to church on Sundays. I'm going to serve. The Lord is good until a trial happens or something difficult happens that I didn't ask for, that wasn't fair, that came out of nowhere. And then we're like, why God, where are you? There's no way God could be moving in this. But could it be today? That the very thing that is happening to you, even if it wasn't sent by God, God could be using to be a blessing in your life. But it takes a little bit of a perspective change because if we just curse the season and we stop showing up to hit the fastball and we give up, you will never end up conquering or learning the lesson that will make it a blessing. But could it be today that Romans 8, 28 can encourage us in here? That if God is working all things for the good, that even the rough things I might be going through today, if God didn't even send it, that's okay, because it could be a great blessing to my life if I partner with God. 
And we see this all the time in church, right? Like we, for me, like I'm this guy. Uh, I remember writing uh, on my connect card every single week. All right, Lord, I just want you to bless me financially. Lord, would you bless us financially? Like, Lord, Lord, open up the heavens on us. And after writing that, a, a few months later, I felt God asked me to quit my job and start working at the church for free. And then we go through two years of the hardest financial difficulties we've ever been through. We're struggling to pay bills. It, it's, it's really difficult. And we're about a year into this thing, and I'm just complaining. I'm frustrated. I said, God, I, I thought you were my provider. I thought you were going to bless us. Like, we, were, we weren't resting because we were Ubering on the weekends. Like, we were, we were doing all this stuff just trying to pay the bills. And I'm like, God, what, what happened? And I'm complaining. But I had this moment where I had this thought in my head that I'd never had before. Maybe you should just stop tithing because then you can like Uber one last day and, and you can pay the rent. But I had this faith thing rise up in me. It said, no, that's not us. And I started to look at it a little bit different. I said, maybe if God put me on this path, I don't think God called me to quit. So maybe God's trying to do something in the middle of this. And so we started to look. And here's the thing is when I was asking for the financial blessing, I wasn't really paying attention to where my money was going. I mean, you know, it's really easy to pay attention to where your money's going when you don't have much money. And so through this difficult season, we actually started to develop some pretty good habits. We started to be really faithful. We came up against, should we tithe? And we decided even when it doesn't make sense, we're going to tithe. And we started to become really good stewards of our money. And what I started to realize was I prayed this prayer. I prayed it. God, would you bless me financially? And God was trying to answer the prayer with a season of preparation, because if he wanted to give me more, he had to trust me with more. And I was not in a place where I was being trustworthy. So hear me out. He was answering my prayer, but I was so, oh, I was so frustrated. I was so beat down. I wonder how many answered prayers are being answered today in this room. But because we haven't had a shift in perspective, we're cursing the very blessing God's trying to send our way. Don't you give up on God. He's working more than you think. Could it be today that he's trying to bless you? Oh, I see this all the time on Connect Cards. I see, God, I'm so sick of being single. I just, I just need a man. I, I, I need a girl. I, I, need, it, it, I just feel so alone. But could it be that maybe God's letting you sit in that alone season? Because God actually does have someone for you. But if you're expecting that person to fulfill you and make you not feel alone, then you're going to put an expectation on that person they could never fulfill because only Jesus can fulfill you until you're in a place where you go, God, if you never send me another thing in my life, you're more than enough. Maybe he won't give that to you, so maybe he's holding it back to grow you. But instead we go, man, God, stop moving. I've been asking. I haven't met anybody, so I guess I'm going to go back to the bar and start looking for a guy there, start looking for a girl there. I guess I'm going to just start dating that person again. And what's happening is you're coming up against this wall and you figure the wall can't be anything from God. So you turn back, you live the same cycle over and over and over again. You wonder why you're not growing. But could it be that God is blessing you with that wall? Could it be that God's doing something? Oh man, I did this with marriage before. I said, Lord, would you bless my marriage? Lord, I pray for the best marriage. Rainbows, butterflies, a wife who always agrees with me, never makes me do anything, cooks for me, cleans for me. Lord, would you bless me with this marriage? And then we get married, and Jordan and I, we, we start bickering. She goes, how come you didn't do the dishes? And I'm going, this woman, Lord, you the audacity to, to think that I'm going to do the dishes after I said I was going to do the dishes? Like, this woman is crazy. But could it be that we're being frustrated that your marriage isn't, you're not seeing eye to eye, but could it be that God's letting you sit in that? Because it was never about the dishes being done. It was about your wife feeling valued because you told her you'd do the dishes, and she can't trust you anymore. 
because she's working hard and you get home and you go sit on the couch because you're a little tired from work instead of serving her? Could it be that this, this thing you're coming up against is not that God's not answering the prayer to make your marriage better. He's trying to teach you how to communicate, how to love, how to serve, but we curse the blessing because we don't see it as a blessing. We just want the heavens to open up and have us agree on everything. I don't think that's always it. Let me encourage you today, as we close out this series to Helen back, and we talk about the trials, let me encourage you that today God's probably blessing you more than you know. He's blessing you today. And I think that's why James is able to so casually be like, oh, just count it joy. No, nah, just count it joy when hard things come up. I've never counted it joy when a difficult thing comes in my life. I'm like, ah, oh, God, so glad my wife and I are fighting again. This is awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, what a blessing. Oh, oh God, I love not having money. Man, you know, having the car on E every single day, love it. What a thrill, you know, total thriller. It's like a roller coaster, you know, am we going to make it? Am I not? You know, like, no, I've never prayed that. I've never gone, oh, counted such a joy. Thank you, Lord. But I think James is able to so casually say it because he understands that the very thing you're coming up against really is a blessing. Because even, we know if God's working it all for the good, that he could even be using this. So count it joy. Count it a blessing. And today, as we dive into this a little bit, I want to look at uh, somebody who I think has been through a lot of trials in their life, but somebody we can all relate to in here. And that's my man, Peter. My Peter is my guy. This is why Peter's my guy. Peter gives me hope. Okay, because, like, I'm a pretty, like, we're, we're all not that great. We're kind of jacked up. And you look at Peter, and Peter isn't just like you see these epic moments, but like I think a lot of times we read the Bible, we see like this holy man who never made a mistake. And then you see Peter, you know, and, and Peter's like, I will never do this. And then he does it. And he's like, I won't do this. And, and, then, he, and then he does it. And Peter's kind of a loud mouth. Like he doesn't really think before he, he talks. Like this dude was rebuked by Jesus like several times for what he was saying, like more than once. And I'm like, huh. My guy, I can relate to you. Let's go. And I want to look at Peter today, but I don't want to just look at like an individual story because I think as we look at the life of Peter, I think we can see um, some really great things we can learn about trials because this man, he's been to hell and back, but he's seen God be faithful through it all and he never gave up. And so uh, what you need to know before we dive into this is when I read the Bible, uh, I read the Bible kind of like a movie. Like I see things in movies or like more like Netflix series, like a six-part series limited edition, like it's only on Netflix for a little bit, like that's how I read the Bible, okay? And so we pick up here in Matthew 4, and we see that Peter and his brother are on a boat, okay? And they're fishermen, but I don't start there in my mind. I go, well, what's the backstory? Well, here's what you need to know about back in the day, there wasn't like, like elementary school wasn't like math, reading, science, but you were learning the trade you were going to do your whole life. And so if Peter was a fisherman when he was 18, which is right here, he was a fisherman when he was eight. He was on a boat with his dad, learning how to fish, learning how to do this. And so I picture the scene opens in the first episode, okay? The water's calm. They're out in the, on the boat in the morning. It's just Peter and his dad. And, and, and Peter's dad, he's tending to the nets. He's, he's a commercial fisherman. He knows what he's doing. But Peter, little eight-year-old Peter, he's just sitting there with his fishing rod. And, and he, he casts one out. And what's going through Peter's mind is Peter's never caught a fish before. All of his other brothers have. They teased him a lot about it, but he's never done it. And so he's like, man, I just want to catch a fish. And he casts it out. And it's sitting there on the water, and he gets a little nibble. So he goes, oh, my gosh. And he starts to roll, and he goes, Dad, Dad, I caught my first fish. But before he can get it to the boat, the fish jumps off the hook and swims away. And Peter's dad goes, that's all right, buddy. Just, just keep putting it out there. And he's like, all right, all right. So he casts it out again. A few minutes go by. He gets a nibble. So he begins to reel it in. He goes, Dad, Dad, I got one. I got a fish. And the same thing happens. 
before it gets to the boat, it jumps off. So he's discouraged. Oh, I'm so sick of doing this. But he casts one more out. And it's sitting there on the water, and he gets a little nibble. Now, this time, he doesn't say anything to his dad because he doesn't want to disappoint his dad. He doesn't want to disappoint himself. He knows the fish will jump off. It always does. He starts reeling it in, and he realizes the fish hasn't jumped off yet. He's starting to get a little excited, so he, he reels it in real fast. And he gets it, and he pulls it into the boat, and he's sitting there holding his fish. He goes, Dad, look. And his dad turns around and sees Peter with his first fish. He goes, that's my boy. You caught your first fish. You're a fisherman just like me. And Peter's dancing around the boat going, I caught my first fish. I caught my first fish. And this is an amazing moment, and the scene cuts. And we go right to here, and this is where we pick up. And Peter, he's in a boat. He's with his brother, but he looks a little different now. He's 18. He's a little cut now. He's tending the nets with his father. He knows what he's doing. He's a commercial fisherman. It says, as Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately, immediately left their nets, and they followed him. That's crazy, isn't it? That they just leave their nets and they follow him. But there's just something about the presence of God, right? Like Jesus says, follow me, and I think we all have this inclination to go, okay. Actually, this, this makes a lot more sense. And so you see this crazy, epic story where he, he begins to follow him. They leave the nets, and they come into shore, and they're walking with Jesus. And they go, where are we going? Jesus says, just follow me. And they begin to walk, and the episode ends. And you're on a, you're on a cliffhanger. You're going, what, what's going to happen next? Well, don't worry. That little Netflix timer starts to go. You know, it's like 20, 19, 18. You're like, I got to see what happens next. So you hit play because you can't even wait the 20 seconds. And we see this open up. And we open up, and guess where Peter is? He's on a boat. He's in the water. He's with Jesus. And it's a few months later. And, and this is what it says. It says, next one. It says, as he got into the boat, he being Jesus, his disciples followed him. Suddenly a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by waves. But Jesus, Jesus kept sleeping. That's a word for someone in here today. Your biggest worries, these waves you feel like are crashing down on you. You're, you're freaking out. Jesus is sleeping because he's not even worried about it. Don't worry. God's got you. Have faith today. Jesus kept sleeping. So the disciples came and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to die. He said to them, why are you afraid? You have little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and sea, and there was a great calm. The men were amazed, and they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Man, what an amazing story. They're sitting there, and, and, and here's what you need to understand. Why can we count it joy when we have trials, like what James says? What Peter was beginning to learn is you can have joy because trials build your faith. Trials build your faith in God. Like what you're going through today, could it be that God's wanting to show you how big he really is? See, you got to put this into perspective in this moment. This was Peter's domain. He was in a boat. So he's been following Jesus not that long, and they go, we're going to get in a boat. And Peter goes, oh, finally something I know. Like Jesus, like you might know about like healing people and all this, but like the boat, like, no, nah, I grew up in a boat. Like, I'm on a boat. Like, I, I know this. Like, this is, this is my lane right here. And so they're in there, and Jesus, he starts sleeping, and it starts to sprinkle a little bit. They're like, hey, hey, Peter, yo, are we, are we good? He's like, oh, yeah, we're good, guys. I've been through much worse. This is, this is nothing. They go, okay, all right. And then it starts to rain a little bit harder. The wind starts coming. They're like, hey, Peter, this is, this is a little crazy. Like, are you sure we're good? He's like, guys, chill, chill, chill. I got this. All right, I've been doing this forever since I was eight. Like, I, I got this. And then all of a sudden, the waves start swamping the boat, and it's filling up with water. And they look to Peter thinking he's going to be strong. And they look at him, and he's just scared. And they're like, Peter, are we good? And he's like, no, 
Like, I don't know what we're going to do. I would have never got on this boat if Jesus didn't tell us to. It's his fault. Like, wake him up. Like, I don't know what's going on. And, and they're freaking out. And, and they're, they're struggling. They don't know what to do. And here's, here's the reality is Peter, I, I believe before this moment, he would have said, I have complete faith in Jesus. I believe he believed that. But here's, write this down today. A faith that isn't tested is a faith that can't be trusted. So he's going, I have complete faith, but it starts to rain a little bit. And Peter starts to work. So he goes, I got to fix this. I've done this before. And, and he tries to, to fix the boat. He tries to get it to, to not be swamped and to not start sinking. But only when Peter's at the complete end of his wits, he has no idea what else to do, is when they wake Jesus. See, sometimes God sends you trials in your life, and it's simply to remind you how big God really is. See, because the revelation that he was having was sometimes you need a little bit of a big storm to remind you you have a big God. Sometimes you need a little bit of a layoff to remind you that God's your provider. Sometimes you need a little bit of a sickness to understand that God's your healer. Sometimes you need a little bit of a t t trial to understand that God can triumph in it. Sometimes God wants to use these circumstances to remind you how big he really is. But what I find we do in the moment is rather than looking for God and going, how can God heal this? We turn back and head towards shore. Because we go, man, this doesn't look safe. This can't be God, and we turn back and we forget how big God really is. But Peter had an incredible revelation that day, that it doesn't matter what I'm going through, it doesn't matter how big the storm, how crazy the sickness, no matter what I'm going through, God is big enough and strong enough to heal it. He did it for me, he did it in me, and he will do it through me in the future. God is not done yet. Let me tell you, Romans 8, 28 says he can use it. But sometimes we have to have a shift in perspective. Could it be that God's trying to bless you with remembering how big God really is today? I wonder what you're going through in here. And I wonder what your prayers sound like. Is it a prayer of, God, you got to bail me out. I hope you can do it. Or is it a prayer of declaration saying, God, I can't wait to see how you do it this time. Oh, God, I can't wait to see how you calm it. Because if you could calm the storm back then, you can calm it now, Lord. And so we see this episode end in epic fashion. We, we have the storm coming up. We have people who are crying, freaking out, and then you have Jesus step up and just calm it in the moment as if there's nothing there, and it ends. And we get the timer going again. You're going, oh, my gosh, I got to do it. You go grab your popcorn. You go for this next episode. And we pick up, and guess where Peter is? He's on a boat. He's in the water. There's a storm. This, this tends to happen with Peter a lot, and I want to speak to you and remind you today that God's not a distant God from you. God knows you. And here's the thing is Peter grew up on a boat, so God spoke to him through a boat. If you grew up playing baseball, God can speak to you through baseball. God is not a distant God. God even got to his level to teach him in the world that he understood, and God can do that for you today. But we see him and we pick up. It says immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was some distance from the land, and it was what? Being battered by waves, because the wind was against him. Jesus came toward them, walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking, they were terrified. They said, it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. And I think that's pretty reasonable. I think I would do the same thing if somebody was walking on water. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. But look at what Peter did here. He said, Lord, if it's you... Command me to come on the water to you. And he said, come. And climbing out of the boat, 
Peter started walking on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and began sinking and cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught him and said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? So what's different about this story? I mean, he's in a boat, raining. There's a storm. They're scared. But there's one big difference. Peter's actions. See, could it be that Peter had a revelation at how big God already was? And so he finds himself then, and he's going, well, if he did it back then, he'll do it now. No, I don't think you're hearing me. Like, if he saved you then, he'll save you now. That all I got to do in the midst of my storm is not freak out, panic, but I just got to look for Jesus. And so he begins looking for Jesus. He goes, well, he's not in the boat, and he looks out on the water, and he goes, there's Jesus right there. And I know it may not make sense for me to leave a boat in the middle of the storm, but I don't know if that's where Jesus is, that's where I need to be. And if he gets out and he begins to walk on the waves. Let me encourage you, why can you count trials joy in here today? Trials build you. That they build your faith first. You gotta know how big your God is. And God sends you some trials to remind you. But let me tell you something, he also sends you some trials to help you exercise your faith. He, he sends you some trials to help you know that I'm actually more than what I think I am. See, I think for Peter, he had this revelation that when you know how big God really is, you remember who you are in Christ. So when you remember how big God really is, you can start to have a little bit of confidence in who God called you. So let me ask you today, who are you in Christ today? Let me encourage you. You're strong. You're not weak. Uh-uh, you're strong because you got God inside of you. You're not afraid. Uh-uh. No, you're courageous. You're bold. What are you facing today? Don't be nervous, but here's the key thing. You're more than a conqueror in Christ. You're more than a conqueror in Christ. And I think uh, Peter's having this revelation that I'm more than a conqueror, but the thing is faith takes action. And so for you to be more than a conqueror, you actually have to conquer. You actually have to take a step. And how I said, I think as Christians, we come up against these walls in our life or these trials, and we go, man, this must not be God, and we turn back. But I think sometimes God leaves the wall there and he goes, let me teach you how to climb it. Let me teach you how to overcome it. Let me, teach, let me get some Christians around you who can help lift you and hoist you over. Let me teach you how to get a strong footing and a strong backing and climb. Let, let me teach you how to get around it because if God puts you on that path, if he puts you in that boat and said sail, he will not let you fail. I didn't even mean for that to rhyme. Look at that. If God told you to do it, he's not going to leave you high and dry. In fact, you might get a little bit wet because he started walking on the water. He took action in his faith, and he walked on his worries. He danced on the danger. He triumphed in the trial. He fell in. He got a little scared. He got a little wet, but we can't be perfect, but we can try. Not to be perfect, but we can try to make it through the trial. Because if I know God called me to it, I'm going to keep going to it. I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to keep pressing forward. Why don't we stand our feet in here or in this place? And so we see this, this one ends in epic fashion as well. But it's kind of the same story. And we're going, Peter, like, and this seems to be a reoccurring theme of your life. And then we, we see the last one open up. And, and, and we open up, and guess where Peter is? He's on a boat. He's in the water. But Peter looks a little different this time. See, it's, it's been a few years. Peter looks a little beat down. He's got a little scraggly beard growing now. 
He's got some wrinkles. He looks like he's been through some life. He looks like he's had a tough go at it. See, Peter, he had this moment with Jesus before Jesus died. But Jesus goes, Peter, you don't want to hear this, but you're actually going to deny me three times. You're going to have an opportunity to stand in the gap for me, and you're going to deny me. Peter goes, Lord, I would never do that. I, I sat through the storms with you. You remember my faith? No way I would ever do that. But Jesus is being whipped and beaten on our behalf, and he's, he's being put on a cross, and, and several times somebody comes up and goes, hey, aren't, aren't you one of those disciples who was following Jesus? And Peter goes, no, that's not me. No, you got the wrong guy because he's scared. He's terrified. And then another person comes up, and they go, yeah, you're the, you're the guy. It's a, it's a dis- disciple, right? You're one of those guys that was following Jesus. He goes, no, that's not me. And finally, one last person goes, hey, guys, we, we got one of those one of those Jesus followers, he goes, no, that's not me. I don't know him. I've never known him. And at this moment, you could hear a pin drop in Peter's life. And he realized what he just did. And from that moment, Peter's full of shame. Jesus goes to the cross, dies. And Peter's beat down. And so we pick up here, and Simon, Peter, uh, Thomas, Nathaniel of Cana, uh, of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, the two other disciples were together, and they said, I'm going fishing. Peter said to them, well, we're coming with you. So they went and they got onto the boat. But that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood from the shore, a resurrected Jesus, uh, uh, from the grave Jesus, a victorious Jesus. He stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't know who it was because Jesus died. Yeah, he said he was going to rise again, but I, I would venture to say these few days are probably pretty blurry, pretty foggy for them. A lot, lot's going on. And Jesus says, friends, don't you have any fish? And they said, no. He said, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And they did. And they were unable to haul it in because there was such a large number of fish. But the disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard this, he tied the outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off because Peter's wild. That's my guy, you know. And he plunged into the sea. And since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples in the boat, or other disciples in the boat came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. But Peter, he swims a hundred yards, a football field, because he saw Jesus. And he remembered, I'm going through a trial, but one time he calmed it. And I'm going through a trial that I caused, but one time he helped me walk on it. And so I know where Jesus is, I gotta go. And if that's the Lord, I don't care that it's 100 yards. I'm about to Michael Phelps. I'm about to try. I'm about to go. I can't contain myself. So he dives in the water and he swims to shore. And when they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire. And look at Jesus' response. He said, come eat breakfast with me. Bring some fish that you've caught. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore full of fish. Even though there were so many, the, the net was torn. And he said, come have breakfast. Now, this is huge. Next. Next slide says, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. It was hard to understand, but they knew it was him. Jesus came, he took the bread, and he gave it to him. He did the same with the fish. We're going to skip down a little bit, but after eating breakfast, Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He says, yes, Lord. You know I love you. He says, feed my lambs. The second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said, shepherd my sheep. But then he asked him a third time. 
And it says Peter was grieved. He was grieved because he was so full of shame. He was so beating himself up. And Jesus goes, do you love me? He goes, God, you know everything. If you know everything, you know that I love you. He goes, feed my sheep. See, trials, they have an amazing way of bringing you back to Jesus. Because there's times in our life where we start to get the hang of this thing. And we start to conquer a little bit. And, and we start to come to church and we get in the group and we, and we get the wife and, and we get the job and we see the blessings that God puts over our life. And so we start feeling really good and we go, all right, I got this. I got this life. And before we know it, we forget the key factor in all these stories, the person of Jesus. Because when you look at the first one, who did they have to wake up to calm the storm? Jesus. Who helped them walk on the water? Jesus. But when he denied Jesus, he separated himself from Jesus. And he said, I need to protect myself right now. Not allow God, who's always protected me, continue to protect me. Here's the thing. If you're not going through a trial right now, sick, you will at some point. Trials will come in this life, especially as Christians. We were never promised an easy life. It's a difficult life. But the key factor in all of it is keeping your eyes on the person of Jesus. Because the second we begin to leave it, we lose our power. The power to calm the storm. The authority to walk on the water. The confidence we have. It all comes from Jesus. It comes from knowing the fact that we were sinners, that we were far from God, but a God who is so scandalous sent his son, his one and only son, and he lived the perfect life, but he said, I'll take your sin on the cross and I'll die so that you don't have to go through these trials alone. But you still have to go through them, but you'll never do it alone. Just let me in. Just follow me. Just keep your eyes on me. And I promise you, I can take the worst of things and I can use it for the good in your life. I can take the trials and I can teach you to triumph. I can help you grow. I can help you change. But here's the key factor. As we go out from the series and we remember that we can triumph, that we remember we can go to hell but come back in the name of Jesus. When I see the power of Peter's life, you know what I see? It's not the fact that he was able to like be so confident. It's not the fact that he walked on the water. It's this one thing. If, if you could walk away with anything today, walk away with this. Peter never gave up. Peter never turned back from the thing God called him to do. He had a thousand opportunities. He, he could have turned back when God said, get behind me, Satan, because he could have been offended. He could have turned back when his mother-in-law was sick with a fever and dying. He could have turned back when he failed. He could have turned back in the storm, but Peter kept going. Keep going today. You got Jesus inside of you. You got Jesus with you. He's working on your behalf. You may not see it. He may seem far, but he's walking on the water towards you. And he said, come out and triumph. Come out and trust me. Lord, we run to you today. Lord, would you help us trust? Would you help us see you moving in the trials? Lord, we put our faith in you today. Would you build us today? Lord, we bring you our break. Day by day, we surrender to you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Thank you so much for listening today. And we want to give a special thank you to those that give so generously to My City Church. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you would like to give today, please hit the link in the description or go to our website at mycitychurch.cc forward slash give. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please hit the subscribe button and share it on all of your social media. We love you so much. We'll see you next week. God bless.